Donald Trump is having a light week on the legal front, yet he was found liable in his second defamation suit. We'll unpack that ruling. Meanwhile, televised hearings started today in the Fulton County case, and the judge confirmed the trial itself will be live streamed via YouTube. We'll give you some takeaways from today's action and give the implications for the trial itself. Then DeSantis's PAC is going to war with Vivek as new polling shows Ron on the decline and Ramaswamy gaining ground. Do we have a front runner for runner up in the making? Finally, Democrats won a historic victory in Wisconsin earlier this year with a win in a key Supreme Court race. Now the state's GOP is moving to impeach that justice before she even begins her term. We'll assess this threat and what you can do about it. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you, the 54% of the country that votes for progress in every election, convince your conservative friends and family members to join our majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason. Well, fresh off the presses, Trump was found liable by a federal judge right before we sat to do this recording, or I'm standing, I guess, before I stood to do this recording. Uh, and you're a resident you know, sort of civil expert here. Do you have any idea what the posture of this is, like the second case relative to the first? I, I did my best to quickly get up to speed over the past 30 minutes. Yeah, it's basically, in, in layman's terms, what happens in a case like this is you're allowed to, when something has already been litigated, right? And it And it's like, look, a jury has already ruled on this thing. And it's not like a new crime. It's just like, or not, it's not a crime in this case, like a, a new civil violation. And it's like, look, a jury and a judge already found him liable for doing this. And now he did the exact same thing again. There's no difference. All of these facts are the same. So you just sort of stipulate and basically transfer over the findings from the last court. And then, uh, and then the judge can decide whether or not you need a completely new evidentiary hearing, whether you need a completely new jury, or whether they're just going to say, yes, we're just basically transferring these findings over to this case. And then this stuff over here is what's still left to be argued about. And we'll leave that. But we're going to decide we're going to consider this stuff here to be decided. And that's what happened here. Got it. And so it looks like now it's just moving to damages, Jason. So it, he was already found liable for five million in damages uh, in the earlier case. So now he's set to have a new hearing on just mm -hmm. damages and the jury will will find, you know, determine a new set of damages for him? Yeah, I think that's basically it because, uh, you know, if you remember, what happened was is they did this case. He didn't really do much to defend himself, right, um, in, in the initial case uh, and because he didn't want to go to court and, like, have to, I guess, politically, he didn't want to have to go in there and be like, no, here's how it is that I didn't sexually assault, right? So he kind of let it happen, and then this time, uh, and then, and he was what he was found liable for um, was defamation, right? And then he, and then he came back and he defamed again uh, because immediately he was like, "No, none of that's true. It's all bogus." And so it's just sort of like, "Well, yeah, that's the exact same facts um, by calling her a liar and all that kind of thing." And so now they just got to decide, well, how much damage was done this time, and we'll see whether or not he puts up a fight. It's kind of hard to when his dance card's getting a little bit full yes. when it comes to being in court, man. Well, I actually was just watching the Fulton County hearing. So uh, the the judge there, uh, <laughs> Scott McAfee, uh, he, he not only said a few days ago that he confirmed that they will be televising that trial whenever it begins uh, via YouTube, a, a YouTube live stream. 
but also great revenue raiser for Fulton County. I hope they hold on to that YouTube live stream. But the, <laughs> no kidding, there's going to be a lot of pre-roll, man. You're going to be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like do not outsource that Fulton County. Uh, but oh the, my god, call me up. We're a nonprofit. We'll help you set it up. You know, don't don't. <laughs> Don't let anybody in on that. Uh, but the second thing is, um, I think it'll rival like Mr. Beast's account for the few months. Yeah. Of oh, for sure. But the but they also started the hearings today. So I was watching the hearings right before we went on. And Jason, there are a couple interesting things here. Number one was I watched as Ken Cheeseborough or Cheese Cheesebro. Couldn't I I don't know uh, how you say his name. I have chosen to say it because I don't know as Cheesebro. Oh because yeah. Well, his his lawyer says Chesabro, which means that must oh. be the real pronunciation. But you know, yeah, shout out to Will Wooten, okay. the, pro- the prosecutor, who then proceeded to call him Cheesebro, <laughs> the prosecutor. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, uh, so what I just watched, and understanding, I don't fully understand everything that's going on in this hearing. I just watched as what it believed to be Ken. I'll be nice, Chesabro's lawyer tried to throw Sidney Powell under the bus by basically being like, look, her charges are crazy. Ours are very minimal. And then the judge was like, oh, say more. What do you think is like so severe about her charges relative to yours? And then I watched the lawyer backtrack. Like, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to cause trouble here. I'm just saying my guy did something way more minimal than what she's being accused of. And so I'm basically watching as they're like basically starting <laughs> to fight already, these, these lawyers amongst each other. And then... um and then basically he tried to sever his case from the rest of the defendants. And then I watched mm-hmm. Powell try to do the same exact thing. Her lawyer got up and tried to do the same thing. And so then I watched this guy, Will Wooten, get up uh, and essentially be like, all right. Like, he, he basically laid out the state. I, I learned a lot about Georgia Rico law just now. He laid out the, the precedent in Rico. And Jason, let me tell you this. I don't ever want to be involved in a Rico case. Uh, because I heard, <laughs> I heard Will Wooten say, the prosecutor say, when you're accused of, uh, under the RICO statute, ev- evidence against one is evidence against all. Ah. And I'm like, yeah, I don't well, want to be in the crosshairs of that. Yeah, it does. It, it's, I could see why people have issues with these statutes, though, when I was well, listening to them. Yeah. Because like, it's, it's, a cons- it's, it's a conspiracy statute. It's, a, it's an yeah. organized crime statute, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. but I, it also makes a lot of sense for why they want to be separate. Because they're yeah. like, well, a lot of us did crimes. And I did the crimes assigned to me. I don't want credit for the for the crimes assigned to others. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and so I, I guess I, how I it works is that. relevance is a very like is given a, a sort of broad reading in a RICO statute, right? So from what I understand, in a, in a typical criminal trial, there's a tight rein on what's relevant or not. And in this case, like. But they still have to show you are part of the conspiracy. So that's the thing. So if mm-hmm. like majority 54 listeners, if you're if your family members are like, this is wrong, yada, yada. The thing to keep reminding people is like they still have to show that they were part of the conspiracy. Right. They can't just be like, hey, we're going to drag you in court and anything goes right. Like mm-hmm. they're asking, are you part of this conspiracy? And then they're going to allow all evidence of that conspiracy to be um, presented at trial. Right. Uh, but again, like it is tricky. Like, it, you know, I'm not here to like make their points for them. But when I think there's something 19 defendants in this case, my sense in watching this judge is that he's probably going to sever some of these these defendants. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to def- sever Trump, but I think he's going to sever some of the defendants. And I actually think that's fine for people who 
who uh, have a particular like bloodthirst for Trump, <laughs> don't worry about any of that. Uh, like <laughs> it, Trump, as long as Trump and the major conspirators are together, I think it will become obvious what they did. And in some ways, it's better that the weaker cases, the more minimal cases get severed out as long as it doesn't affect the calendar, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I also think that what we're about to have happen is listeners of this show are about to be inundated with um, critiques of the RICO statutes. For sure. And the same way that, you know, because the FBI is the one who has investigated a lot of the politically organized crime criminality, um, I just put crime in that twice with two <laughs> roots, but whatever. Um, now they're like, we got to disband the FBI. Now they're going to say, we got to get rid of RICO statutes. And I think it's just important to every few episodes do a quick reminder that like the RICO statutes were created because of organized crime. Because you could, like, if you were an accountant for the mob, you could be like, look, they sent me the, the numbers and I put them in my sheet and then I told them how much money they had left. I, that's not a crime. But... Right. But they created the RICO statutes to be like, look, the accountant knew that these were numbers about dealing drugs or right. numbers about whatever. Yeah, it's it's not meant to like, like, let's say, you know, like Pablo Escobar drops off his dry cleaning and somebody tailors, you know, like, you know, starches his shirts or something. But but yeah. as you know, like that's that's not what the, the it's, it's for his, is about. You're right. It's for yeah. his accountant, not yeah. his dry cleaner. Yeah. And the accountant has to know something, right? Like you have to know right. you're a part of the conspiracy. It's not... They're not just like, you know, like the, the, the Cali cartel is a good example. And Felix Gallardo, the Mexican, um, the sort of father of the current Mexican cartels, um, he, they, he, they were running legitimate businesses. Like it's not, some of those people probably didn't even know they were working for a drug lord, right? And so it's like mm -hmm. not knowing actually is a defense to the statute. If you're just doing something that's right. not illegal and you didn't know, then you're fine. Uh, but but that's not to say, like, look, if you're listening to this, use this as an opportunity to become familiar with Rico Statue. There's a lot of really interesting history of it, especially around the mob. There are a ton of great books. I talked about Fear City, which is the uh, docu-series on Netflix before, which is like a really quick and very fascinating sort of entry point into it. It talks all about how in the 80s, uh, prosecutors, including Giuliani, basically rediscovered the statute, which hadn't really been used and that will ground you in a lot of history to give you a lot of, well, if not for this statute, like a lot of terrible things would have happened in New York, right? Uh, right. Continue to happen. Uh, there were a couple other interesting things, though, that I saw here. Uh, a different prosecutor got up and said the trial will take four months, which I just thought was notable. I hadn't heard that number before, and said they plan to call 150 witnesses. And they were using this point to argue to the judge that uh, it was it would be a logistical nightmare to try to choreograph all this multiple times. And basically saying, let's just do it once and it will be mm -hmm. easier for everybody. Uh, and so I just, I hadn't seen that number before. Maybe it had been reported, but that, that was the only, that was the other newsworthy thing I saw in the sort of short period of time I was watching these hearings. That is a very long trial. Yeah. I, yeah. I did it. I did a two week trial once and it, damn near killed me. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I remember I was sleeping on the couch in the office and that was two weeks, a, a, a four month trial. I mean, that is, and okay. How do you uh, switching gears for a second? How do you feel? Not as a, not as someone who we, we do this on YouTube and we're, we are part of the Midas network. Let's set that aside for, and we are, we are Democrats. Let's set all that aside for a minute in just Philosophically, how do we feel about the televising of trials? 
Oh. I'm curious where you're at on it. I'm not sure where I am. Well, uh, I... I love the content. <laughs> oh, like I, it's, just, like, it's the, amazing to watch. The OJ trial to me is yeah, one that's of the, the great, first one I thought of. One of the great moments in American history and one of the worst moments at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. The I err on the side of not televising trials. Uh, yeah, I I think. Um, I think that there are just so few areas left in American society that are untouched by the digital realm and the like TV and all that, that I would want to keep certain places sacred. That said, I do think the current like default standard, which obviously is different in every state and everything, but there's a lot of places that will allow them in the public interest, right? Like if, if like some, some total lay person is uh, tried for whatever, like there's there's not a lot of public interest in having a video camera there, but maybe this one there is. I don't know. I I, I got to watch it. There's also this depth documentary, docuseries on Netflix, which I have not had a chance to see yet, which I think is like the ultimate version of spectacle when it comes to a trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I actually come into that without a lot of like knowledge. So maybe that'll mm-hmm. help me solidify what I think about it. Cause I, if, from what I understand that one is all about the sort of like public nature of that civil trial uh, in that case. But what do you think? I, I, I actually I, don't have a strong opinion, I guess is my point. I think I'm with you in that there is real value in nine times out of 10, there is real value in maintaining the sanctuary of the courtroom for, for this reason. Uh, I believe there is value in having two separate institutions, whatever, however you want to put it, in the court of public opinion, which we all seem to exist in every single day, and it's nonstop, and it's a cycle, and it just goes on and on, uh, and then the court of law. And to me, the advantage of, of not televising trials is that the whole concept of a criminal or a civil trial is to have people in that community come together and determine what the community standard is mm-hmm. and what what the community's interpretation of the law and of ultimately the instructions to the jury are. And even with the sequestering of juries, and let's be honest, over four months, and when you're when the when you're trying a former president of the United States and all sorts of other high profile public officials, how successful can you really be in sequestering a jury for four months? I, I think it changes who the audience is or who the jury is. I think it widens the jury pool in a way that's not necessarily good um, because it, it brings influences upon the jury, like cultural, popular culture influences, political influences that you want to do your best to avoid. So in general, I think it's not a good thing. Um, now, on the other hand, I think that there's something really great about airing things out and letting people see all of it uh, and letting people connect with the justice system and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think that there's something on a day-to-day basis, like if you were just, let's say, because there are some courts that just like, it's, it's like your local city council channel, like they just have the camera on all the time. I think that there can be something good about that, about accountability when it comes to uh, racial equality and the way judges uh, treat defendants and that sort of thing. Um, but in general, I'm against it now when it comes to something that concerns the entire country, like our democracy, then it's a much harder call for me. 
um, right. whether or not it's good or bad. And I think ultimately we're not going to know whether it's been good or bad for our democracy until we've done this and had it yeah. live streamed on YouTube so that people can see the entire process. Yeah, I think about it from the perspective of journalism, it certainly helps, right? Like, for for mm -hmm. example, the oh, Rittenhouse, sure. the Rittenhouse case, if you remember, uh, that was just as I was starting the branch back then, it was called Lost Debate, and they were streaming every moment of that trial, and it was actually through watching the mundane moments that I realized this guy was going to get off. Uh, and, I, and I think, like, that wouldn't have been obvious from the coverage because the coverage was so charged. Like mm -hmm. that you'd have to like really work hard to figure out what's going on in this case. But if you watched it, you know, just from a strictly objective legal perspective, you're like, all right, one side is winning over <laughs> both this judge and probably this jury. Um, and and also it was very informative. Like you're just watching it like, wow, okay. Like as somebody who likes to cover legal events, there was a lot of ins and outs of that, the mon mundanity, which I guess is a new word of that, that was, <laughs> I thought, really helpful. Uh, and there is a precedent here too. Like if you go back to colonial times, trials were were open. If if you remember the HBO mm -hmm. docu series on John Adams, he he wound up defending British soldiers in a massacre. And if you remember the mm -hmm. scene, he's in the gap. There's like the whole town shows up and is like yelling at him, and they're asking him questions during the trial. Just people <laughs> who show up to the trial. Now, yeah. uh, I, I imagine that was based on some kind of historical reality because my understanding is that trials were. And this was not necessarily a good thing, but just in coming from the precedents is coming from very communal, public, interactive things back in the day. Well, and that's also when you really think about it at this point, so, so much of American style democracy, democratic republic, however you want to talk about it, uh, has been replicated or even modified in some cases improved by other nations. There are not a lot of pieces left that you can point to and go, that is so uniquely American. But the way that we try cases or just the fact that there's an amendment in the U.S. Constitution that, that the, uh, I think it's the seventh amendment, um, is it sixth or seventh? I can't remember that says that I think it's any, any case where the controversy, uh, is above $20, you get a civil trial, right? Like, that stuff is really unique. And so on the one hand, you want to put that on display. On the one hand, you want the whole country to be able to participate in that. But on the other hand, what's so unique and special about it is that it is an individual community coming together and pulling together just a group of citizens for jury duty to decide someone's fate. And so it, it, I'm of two minds. And we can move on, yeah. but I just, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thought experiment. Now, with all that said, I'm super excited. Now let's uh, just putting on like a, a partisan hat, like for a moment, not even partisan hat, a pro-democracy hat, uh, like team democracy. The idea that the, the nominee who is most opposed to democracy will spend a good amount of the campaign in a televised trial about his attempt to thwart democracy. I think that's good for can, the country. Can I, can I zag though on this one? Sure. I actually think it would have been better if it weren't televised because wouldn't it even be better if he was forced to stand trial and be out of the public eye because like he yeah. loves the public eye so like what if we were just like hey we're gonna lock you in a room for a month uh that's true four months uh was, maybe this you know presumably this would be coming on the heels of a federal trial we'll, we'll have to you know which is not going to be televised from what i understand uh they don't televise any federal trials correct me if i'm wrong uh so the 
this would be the ultimate death sentence for him as a public official. He loves the attention, right? And so this part of me that actually thinks that would have been even better. I don't know. That's my Zach. That's my Stephen A. Smith hot take. It's a good point because it's also weird to think about the idea that if he has a good day or a good moment in court, it could yeah. be good for his poll numbers. It just becomes about so the wild. Yeah, he, he, you know what's going to happen. He's going to wind up like you know getting contempt of court stuff, forcing the hand of the judge to you know have to throw the former president in jail and make the judge mm-hmm. look like he's. He's biased. Like, you know, we, we know all the moves that are coming. You also know that Magosphere yeah. is going to, they're all going to become Clarence Darrow and they're going to be like looking at every motion and they're going to be like, oh yeah, like they're going to be citing like, you know, like Marbury versus Madison, you know, and it's just going to oh, be man. the most annoying spectacle of all time. Uh, and I think like it's going to be Rittenhouse on steroids, you know, like this is going to be the whole Magosphere is going to show up here for these moments. Uh, and and I think great- actually it, it's incumbent upon us, you know. It's a great point that a lot of people who just got done becoming scientists during COVID in a real big hurry <clears throat> are about oh, yeah. are about to become legal scholars in a real big hurry. That will oh, yeah. be that will te- that will test our patience. Yeah, uh, well, a lot of those people so. have now experienced this, and they can dust off their their law library yeah. from the the Rittenhouse case and Johnny <laughs> yes. Depp versus Heard. You know, like. We can- um, I mean, it, it's, it's actually a sad world that a lot of these people like are now go to like people like, you know, like they, they have their own channels. People are like asking their opinion. Most of the people have never even stepped foot in a courtroom or in a law school or read a legal brief. But such is America. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, OK. Uh, enough of court TV for today. By the way, this is the light week for Trump. I just want to point yeah. out to everybody. This is what well, it looks like. Just, and just settling. This may be the lightest week we ever see, save for like the holidays, you know? And Adam Adam just sent us this message, this breaking news message that Judge McAfee just denied Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell's efforts to sever their cases. So there we go. He's not even he's not even severing those ones. I'll tell uh, you that the body so. language doctor likes what we're seeing from this judge. Um, I won't say more, yeah. but I, I'm, okay. I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. This is the beauty of the televised court hearing. I think he's going to give mm-hmm. the magosphere very little. He doesn't say a lot, uh, and he generally asks good questions. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. DeSantis versus Vivek Ramaswamy. Jason, uh, you know Jeff Rowe. Uh, or, uh, so tell me a little bit about who Jeff. Let's let's acquaint the audience with who Jeff Rowe is, uh, and, okay. and 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 also, um, you know, like what is going on with this pack now, which seems to be making one mistake after another. Well, let's first let's go through this news story, right? So, yeah, uh, Jeff Rowe is the top strategist for Ron DeSantis for his super PAC, and I guess just before this the GOP debate, he did like a briefing. Uh, for donors, which is not unusual at all, right? He he did a briefing for donors, and during that, um, he bragged that the super PAC was behind an avalanche of opposition research targeting Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, he said everything you read about him is from us. Uh, and the, he's the leader of the Never Back Down PAC, and he said every misstatement, every 360 he's conducting or 180 that he's going through in life is from our scrutiny and pressure, and so he's not going to go through that very well, and that will get worse for him. And so this was him doing a Q&A with folks just before that. Um, 
And yeah. uh, he also, by the way, predicted during that briefing that Ramaswamy would have a big night. And he said, that's not great for us in the short term, us being DeSantis. So who is Jeff Rowe? Uh, because I didn't even realize that Jeff Rowe was, you know, I know he's working at the Super PAC, but that basically makes him one of the chief, at least media strategists um, for DeSantis. Uh, okay, I have known Jeff Rowe a long time. Jeff Rowe comes out of Kansas City politics, and he is the Republican from Missouri and particularly from Kansas City, going back a long time. Um, he, his firm, Axiom Strategies, ran campaigns against me for actually, I think every office that I, that I, pursued, um, you know, with the exception of, uh, when I was running for mayor for a little while. Um, although maybe he was in that, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I, maybe he was, I, I think, I think Axiom Strategies was working for somebody in that, but anyway, um, but in addition to that, I got to know Jeff like on a personal level because, um, I did a fellowship teaching at the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, uh, where Axelrod had his, uh, fellowship program. And and so a David Axelrod invited me up to do that. And that same semester, he invited Jeff Rowe. And so Jeff Rowe and I would, we saw each other a few times up there, had lunch. I had the very unique experience of hanging out late one night at Axe's apartment um, with, uh, with a few people, including Jeff Rowe, and sitting oh, there wow. having having drinks and listening to By the to way, does Axe, Axe still live and, at the top of the Oprah building? Uh, I think the, he moved. Oh, okay. I think he, yeah. I think he moved. Um, yeah. and I think he's mostly in Michigan lately and, and Arizona. Um, but yeah. I think he's, I think he's still got the place. Uh, it's a very nice condo. And, um, and so sitting there and having drinks and listening to these two, like professionals, like campaign pros, Axe and Roe just talk. And what was so interesting was there wasn't any arguing. Like it was just, yeah. oh yeah, that, and this like fascination, you know, mutual fascination right. in each other's craft, especially as a guy who had been on the receiving end. I mean, like I, I, I've seen lots of TV ads and mailers and stuff that were crafted by Roe against me. And at this point, like Roe and I have a, rep, a collegial- right? He has a he has a rep oh. as being very good. He was Ted Cruz's guy, right? He, um, which yep, makes his he, behavior he, very strange, I think, with this. Well, he has a rep as being very, very effective, but yeah. also- the most bare knuckles dude that you will meet. Like like Jeff Rowe, before it was cool to feel like when Trump came along and it was like, there are no rules anymore. Right. Jeff Rowe always believed there were no rules. Like right. Jeff Rowe will openly tell you stories about, you know, back in the early nineties when, uh, you know, he was helping out on congressional campaigns in like North of Kansas city up in Northwest Missouri, where he would just himself just hide in the bushes outside a, can a, a candidate's like house and take photos, you know, and like, uh, like crazy stories. Um, and, and then he was known before trackers were a thing. Jeff Rowe was the guy who like pioneered the idea of like, let's just have somebody with a camera go get in their face and see if they react poorly. And it worked mm. several times where candidates yeah. would get, freaked out and hit somebody because they were like, why is this person up in my face? By the um, way, people are so listening, what, people are listening, getting mad at this. This is stuff that we rarely use the word both sides on this podcast, but this stuff is fair game at this point in politics in both sides of the aisle. Uh, oh what, yeah. What you're describing. Yeah. It just started mostly on the yeah. right with, yeah. with guys like Roe. And, um, and so anyway, uh, my point in all this is saying that, um, do I think Jeff Roe particularly cares that this leaked out? 
I really don't. I don't yeah. because at this point, like I, I think Jeff Rowe's approach to this kind of stuff, and I haven't talked to Jeff about this, but I think it's kind of like, yeah, at this point, who wouldn't assume that we thought Ramaswamy was moving up? And at this point, he probably likes the idea of people anticipating the dirt that's going to come because it will it, it'll accentuate it. Because if people anticipate it mm-hmm. and they look for it, they're more likely to react to it and go, oh, yeah, that is, as opposed to just letting it pass by them. They're, they're now keyed to it and they're looking for it. Um, yeah. Roe told but me I, once... I, uh, I, uh, I, I was just going to say the the level of of this the level that he zooms in on this stuff is um when my book my my latest book came out last year um somebody at the University of Chicago who had been a part of the program we were in circulated it um to all of us who were fellows in that program and it was people like me Kathleen Sebelius Karen Tumulty you know mm-hmm. and like Jeff Rowe like it was uh, people all over the uh, um, uh, a really renowned French political journalist like just a real wide swath and so there's a lot of collegiality and so somebody sent it around and everybody's like oh congratulations Jason and then Jeff came in and he replied all and he was like I actually really look forward to reading this one because uh, I had to read your last one in 24 hours after you pulled even in the polls with Roy Blunt and we were like oh I I, I actually have to develop as much opposition research on this guy as I possibly can. And he was like, so I read the other one really fast looking for ways to dislike you. I look forward to reading this as a normal person. Um, so, you know, the guy doesn't really miss much. You know, what's fascinating Well, this came out, if, if people remember, right, this was, this was happening all at the same time that Roe leaked the debate memo, which I think had to have been an error because if like, I think people are saying, all right, well, they were telegraphing to the DeSantis campaign what to do. But I, I'm i getting, like, the the problem here is, like, the vibes are Roe is becoming the story. The pack is becoming the story. And Roe could think this is a good strategy. I don't think it is. And it gives Ramaswamy, like, such an obvious comeback, which is, it already actually happened in the debate. But anytime DeSantis attacks him, Ramaswamy is going to point to this pack. And it's actually part of Ramaswamy's, you know very, very thin and not genuine, like, sort of story, but one that seems to be working with the GOP electorate to a certain extent, which we'll talk about, which is that he is independent of special interests. This is what he's saying, Mm -hmm. right? So he's saying, all the rest of you aren't rich like me. So I could self-fund and I could do, like, I don't have to, like, beg from rich donors and be beholden to them and engage in all this dark money politics uh, and that he makes that the story. That's the simple story. They could say whatever they want about Ramaswamy, how he made his money, different things he said. But in the end, he's going to have a tried and true comeback that is going to be more memorable than any of the attacks that happened against him. Perhaps, unless those attacks are really crazy. And that question is, well, where are those attacks, right? Like, if this was what Roe was saying, right, you know, the, the clock is ticking, right? With each week that Ramaswamy gains little ground here, little ground there, he becomes the story. And attention is the currency of these campaigns. Like, you know, as we'll, as we'll get to, like, DeSantis, if he starts dropping, Ramaswamy starts rising, like, there's no guarantee that DeSantis will ever regain that ground, never mind make up the ground he had to make to even get near Trump. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that leaked is one of the things Roe said, and look, I know I sound like this Roe fan. I know, what's going on here? Yeah, no, look, yeah. I'm <laughs> like, it's like, respect your enemy, you know, respect, yeah. or I'll say adversary, like, right. Jeff Rowe has put out some horrible things about me that were untrue, and he's been yeah. a part of that. And, you know, but he he's very good at it. And, like, you know, y- you got to, if, if you go in 
thinking Darth Vader ain't nothing. Like Darth Vader's gonna gonna whoop you, and so you you have to you have to re- respect the talent that he brings to it, even if it is a talent that you fundamentally believe is in the furtherance of something really really horrible, which I do. Now, the, one of the things Rose said and was leaked was he said, "Look, the campaign doesn't really start at all until after Labor Day. Like that's the real starting pistol." So I'm gonna be interested to see because this is what it did. It piqued our interest. What comes out about Ramaswamy from the Never Back Down Super PAC in the next few weeks? Um, yeah. because Tomorrow would be a day then, well, when this podcast yeah. drops, right? Because it would be the first Thursday, which is the best day to drop anything. It would be the first Thursday after Labor Day. So uh, I guess we'll start to see what that means. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor. Uh, and uh, when we come back, we're going to look at some polling from the race. Like where do you know, where does the race stand now? There's been some movement since the last time we talked about this. Uh, then we're going to talk about a truly horrific effort by the Wisconsin GOP to undo the will of the electorate. All of this and more when we come back. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that I've been taking long before they sponsored this podcast. I drink it literally every day. And I gave AG1 a try because I was tired of taking so many supplements, so many vitamins, and I wanted to just find one solution that would support me throughout the day. I also wanted better gut health, a boost in my energy. I wanted to support my immune system. And what I particularly love about AG1 is that you get more bang for your buck. You don't have to buy all this junk and you don't have to spend all this time taking all this different stuff. You get this one scoop that you put in water. It tastes really great. I take it in the morning and I'll take another one in the afternoon if I'm particularly busy or if I'm traveling. And uh, it's for me, it's become my go-to. I've even replaced my first cup of coffee in the morning with AG1. And since I've been taking AG1, I've noticed like a huge boost in my energy and my mood, my mental clarity, and I can't recommend it enough. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment to your health, try AG1 and you'll get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. You can go to drinkag1.com majority. That's drinkag1.com majority to check it out. All right, Jason. Well, the Wall Street Journal just came out with a poll that showed Trump holding steady. DeSantis is down. Vivek, Haley, and Christie are all up. And the the fine print here is really interesting. So Trump has 59% of surveyed voters. This is a national poll. Uh, This is a 46-point lead over his next closest rival, which is Ron DeSantis. Uh, And uh, DeSantis is only down 13 points to Trump in April, right before he launched his candidacy. So he is going in the wrong direction. Um, and never, never meet your heroes. You know, right? that's, that's the right. lesson. <laughs> oh my God. I've got lots of stories of that. Uh, the DeSantis's favorability also fell, uh, since the April survey. Uh, so, and this is, you know, Republicans. So dropping from 84% to 70%, Trump's favorability also fell from 78 to 75% between the same two polls. And there was uh, some not so great news here on the general election front. If the election were held today, Trump and uh, Biden, um, the two are uh, even at 46% with 8% saying undecided. If you add a third party choice in there, um, Trump leads Biden 40 to 39 within the margin of error. Uh, Yeah, if you add third parties, um, but I guess like unnamed third parties. Uh, but yeah, and so you've got 8% for Nikki Haley, 5% for Ramaswamy, 3% for 
for Christy, what I find notable is we had all this Vivek conversation, and we're guilty of it. He's a fun guy to make fun of. The real news here is the 8% to Haley, I think. You know, not that any of this is mm-hmm. going to matter, but like the 8% to Haley seems to be the real story. Yeah, I've been, it's interesting. Like if you watched that, um, the if you remember the clip of the focus group that said that they really liked Vivek after the uh, debate, the number two person they really liked was Haley. And yeah. I I have to assume that that's just sort of people who are like, you're just regular Republicans who want, yeah. and I'm not saying like Republicans like what used to be Republicans, because right. that's mostly gone now. I'm saying people who are like, they're just, they're way more Republican than they are a fan of Trump. And they were Republican before Trump, but they're, but Trump can't drive them out of the Republican party. Right. So they're just like, they believe all the Republican things. And that's sort of what Nikki Haley offers. She's not more moderate. She's just like, what, like if Trump didn't exist and somebody were to say to you, well, there's this candidate. She's the former governor of South Carolina. She presents very well. Like she's very articulate. She makes a great case. She's, uh, you know, the child of immigrants. She's, she was the United Nations ambassador. Um, she's a, she's a woman. Her husband is deployed for the military right now. You'd be like, oh my God, did they create this Republican candidate? I mean, she would in, be a shoe in for the 2008 nomination. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like yeah. that, that's exactly yeah. it. And, and the people who are like, you know, it turns out 8% of Republican primary voters w- w- liked that they liked John McCain and they liked Mitt Romney and they were the same people. They probably voted for McCain in 08 and Romney in 12. And I don't know who they voted for in 16 or 20, you know, and in 20, there was no real primary, but that's, I think probably the Haley person and 8% is not going to get it done. And yeah, that's kind of sad. Um, but how yeah, about I mean, just, it's almost, it's, we, I, I was just going to say like, we should, it blows my mind that he's still at 59% in like a, what, That's a 10 story. person field. That's unbelievable. I mean, if, if we have to take a step back and be like, what would a year from us versions of ourselves be saying about us when we talk about this, which is you're talking about 8%. Like, it's like, what is right. the story? The story is the 59%. That's the story, yeah, exactly. right? Obviously we're podcasting audience. We want, you know, we're all trying to make this more interesting than it probably <laughs> really is. Like, like it's like, you know, the 20th ringer podcast about the draft, you know, like yeah, yeah, before yeah. it happens, like the 17th mock draft. Uh, this or is ju- what or just do. 3 p.m. on MSNBC yeah. or CNN or Fox. Yeah. It's just like, we've already talked about everything. Okay. That's the story. But the story is here's, the 59%. That is the story. And uh, the other piece of this that I think is so interesting, though, is DeSantis, which is, it is fascinating to think about the fact that the best thing he could have done for his campaign for president was not announced. Disappear. <laughs> like, yeah, not announced, like, but also, but now, now what's the best thing he could do? Stop campaigning. Per my point last yes. week, the best thing he could do yeah. is go back to Florida. Um, I realize I'm shaking as I hit this little standing desk I have. But uh, the 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 best thing he could do right now is go down to Florida, stay down there. You know, you know, basically be around for hurricane season. Get done whatever wacky shit that he needs to get done that he can then sell to Republican voters. Um, you know, cancel you know another AP course for whatever minority he hasn't gone after next. <laughs> 
you know, um, replace the boards of directors of, uh, you know, public colleges, whatever, whatever stuff gets his, you know, it gets him back into the groove uh, and that can make him the guy of governing uh, and then reemerge. And then his, his sort of frame should be to Vivek to the extent that this is even, it's so silly that this is what we're talking about, but it's to be like, I'm about governing, like to the extent that those two are mm-hmm. fighting it out. It'd be like, look, like you are out there, like you have the luxury of going out there and just politicking full time. I had to go help people, right? You know, save them from it's- Asian American studies or whatever comes next, uh, <laughs> you know? So uh, what? that's what I would be doing if I were him. Less Ron DeSantis is more Ron DeSantis uh, to their equation. And at some point, you got to take the hint that the more people know you, the less they like you. And maybe, maybe this isn't the line of work for you. Right. You know, uh, it's just, it's really, it's got to be really, I mean, like, that's got to hurt your feelings. You know, <laughs> like the idea of me was far superior to the reality of me. That's rough, man. Hmm. That's well, rough. What well, we I, we need to name this segment, but we just can't let a week go by without at least showing one clip of how just weird and just craven Vivek Ramaswamy is on the trail. Uh, let's go to this clip where he was asked whether Putin is a war criminal. Yes or no? I think that. Putin is a dictator, and I think that there are open questions that need to be adjudicated by the ICCJ. We have an ICCJ for a reason. My job as the U.S. president is to advance American interests. So I think Putin's actions have been craven. Not much I will say, and I've said it all along. We have to get the facts before we get to the bottom of that. So this was interesting for reasons that I think a lot of people might miss, which is they're like, oh, you can't call Putin a war criminal, yada, yada, yada. Look, actually, that's actually very complicated because actually when, when I think it was Biden called him a war criminal before, like it, it actually creates issues that actually would make it mm-hmm. harder to unwind this war because of international jurisdiction around war crime. So basically you need to like leave the door open for Putin so that he can retreat and save face to his people, right? And if he can't travel right. internationally because he's going to be subject to a criminal proceedings, that at least is an interesting argument. I would still call him a war criminal, but at least there's a debate around that even for people who want to back Ukraine fully. What's interesting is the guy is so clueless that he doesn't know that the ICC is is just absolute kryptonite in Republican circles. Like he's like, oh, we gotta like he's just throwing out and, and for listeners, the ICC is the International Criminal Court. The US is not a member of the ICC because it erodes our sovereignty. This is a big thing, you know, especially to Republicans, but by and large, America is America. We don't like to cede our authority to anybody because it'll be American leaders like, you know, George W. Bush, right? Like right. George people, W. Bush, 100%. You know, so this is a big no-no. I then listened to um, John Bolton came on right after this interview, and it was so funny to listen to because Bolton was basically one of those guys from what I could gather in this interview. I haven't done a deep dive in Bolton. This is the former UN ambassador and national security advisor, but also hates Trump, is that he like uh-huh. basically hates, from what I can gather, know what to do, our huh? support of Ukraine war, but he was like, but this guy is ignorant. He's so the IC. And then he blasted him over the ICC. And was basically like, this guy's like Trump light. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know how to wrap my head around this as a quote unquote <laughs> controversy is that he, the controversy is like 20 layers deep, but I just find it interesting. Yeah. Cause look, like if we're going to do, you know, Ramaswamy corner, uh, we gotta, we gotta get meta on this kind of stuff. So I felt like this was like a, a more interesting 
gaff than some of the previous ones that we talked about. Well, what's fascinating is it, it there's a way to watch that clip and and interpret it as he's actually trying to be responsible, which is what you started yeah. with, right? Yeah. Which the idea that you know Biden did by calling him a war criminal, which of course, of course, the guy's a war criminal, right? But if you're the president and you call someone who you're trying to get them to stop a war, a war criminal. Well, what you're basically doing is you're being like, you have to win the war or there's going to be criminal liability for you. Um, right. right? Um, and so it does make it harder to end the war. But I just, I am not at the point where I will give Vivek Ramaswamy benefit of the doubt on anything like that, because I just don't, I don't see this guy, the guy who's out there with his 10 truths and all this stuff as a guy who's, trying to say things in a way that are presidential and leave him room to do what's right for the country. This is a dude who goes back to something that a, a politician once said to me, which is, you got to win the division before you can win the pennant, and you got to win the pennant before you can win the series. This is a dude who's trying to win his division, right? He's And, and so the idea that he's trying to be that nuanced, I think, is unlikely, because if he was, I think you just, you wouldn't then miss the opportunity to um, to hit Biden, right? Because you would say, well, look, that is that question is a sticky one because as you may remember, President Biden caused a lot of problems when he did this. And I'm not going to make that mistake. And then you say, right. but yeah. if you look at the facts, clearly there, then if the rest of, of what he said was the same, he's craven, he's a dictator, all those things, well, then you would understand him to be saying, yes, he's a war criminal, but if I'm president and I say that, it'll make it harder for the war to end. But he did, he left that out. And I just right. think if he were earnestly trying to do that, that's how you would do it. Right. Well, here's what's going on with him. He, he's got to be Mr. Smart Guy. So he wants mm -hmm. to he wants the interviewer to know he knows what the ICC is. Yeah, that's but what true. he wound up doing is letting them know he kind of doesn't know what it is on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. But okay, uh, let's talk about this. Let's go to the state level here, uh, Wisconsin. This is a very distressing story here. So uh, we talked about uh, back when the election happened that Democrats flipped a, a key Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court seat. Now. Uh, because of that election, we're poised to have a 4-3 majority, which is really important because it allows uh, that court to overthrow state legislative maps that are just incredibly aggressively uh, drawn for Republicans. And it also has implications for um, uh, reproductive freedom uh, and just protection of democracy and Lord knows what else. Uh, and Jason, the there's all of this smoke around Republicans, they're starting to talk about impeaching this judge because she, you know, basically made like very forward statements about how she feels about gerrymandering and reproductive rights while campaigning for this seat. Uh, do you think they're going to go forward with this? Because they basically have full control over impeaching this judge. If they have the votes, they're going to do it. And it wouldn't matter what she said during the campaign. And I think that the way people need to talk about this, stuff like this, um, with the conservative people in their lives is the difference between doing things because they're right and doing things because you have the power to do them. And they're, you know, whether it's true or not, we have this nostalgic belief that in this country, things, major things were more often decided on the merits of them, or at least that there was a respect for certain institutions, right? Like elections. Like if you lost one, you started trying to win the next one instead of 
trying to relitigate literally and figuratively and and rerun the last one because the country can't get anything done when you're doing that. But so I think the way to approach this with people is is that if all anybody cares about and if the only point of any uh, of of this governing that's going on is to gain power and to use power, uh, then what's, what is good about American democracy? How is it going to work? And so I just, I think this is a symptom of a larger thing, which is they believe in power for power's sake. And while this is terrible and, and I am fully against anything like this, it does it does lead toward a little bit of a lesson that Democrats need to learn, which is you have to use power when you have it, mm-hmm. because if you don't, the other side will. Um, yeah, now, well, this is this is an abuse of power, but well, this is this is the, this is an example of the power laws of democracy and how they could be dangerous, right? So Wisconsin is a seat the Democrats win more often than they lose. We have the governor's seat, we won the presidency more often than not, right? Uh, and it, let's we could be generous and call it a fifty-fifty state. Republicans have a 29 seat majority in the state assembly. Now, this is the very issue that we're talking about, drawing maps, right? So they're using their power, which is illegitimate, to protect their illegitimate power. Uh, and this is where it gets really mm-hmm. dangerous. They also have a two-thirds majority in the state Senate. And now uh, this is where things get dicey. Upon impeachment, I'm going to read from this article that we have about this, and let me give credit where credit is due. This is from the New York Times. So uh, upon an impeachment, a Supreme Court justice would be prohibited under the state constitution participating in and voting on court decisions. If the state Senate voted to convict and remove the justice before December 1st, Governor Evers, a Democrat, would name a replacement who would face voters next April when the Republican presidential primary will be on the ballot, meaning that conservative voters would be highly energized. Uh, so, uh, and, and by the way, the fine print here, Wisconsin Constitution stipulates that impeachment is intended for, quote, corrupt conduct in office or the commission of a crime or misdemeanor, none of which is alleged here. So right. they're just like saying she insane. said we don't like what she said in the campaign. I mean, it yeah. is absolutely we're going to replace the will of voters. You know, before photo ID, for instance, became as partisan and became such a Rorschach test, back when not everybody really knew what it was. I remember when I was Secretary of State talking to Republican voters and saying, "Look, I I just think that every eligible voter should have every opportunity to vote." And then whoever's idea is the best wins. And that's why I oppose photo ID. And when I would have those conversations, most Republicans, uh, Republican voters would say, I agree. If my side doesn't have the better argument, then we shouldn't win. Now, that issue has become a Rorschach test that it's been polluted. So it no longer applies there. But when you take most of these uh, of, of these issues, it, it's like, that's where I think most voters start. And so on something like this, if you were to explain to people, well, look, they have a way outsized presence already in the legislature, and this is about them abusing their power. It is not really about this judge. Most voters, even Republican voters probably in Wisconsin are going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we should do that. I think we should just try to win elections. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we, we've got to continue to make that argument. Right. Well, okay. Um, shout out to the Wisconsin Democratic Party. We've had Ben on, who's the chair of the Wisconsin uh, Democratic Party, Ben Wickler. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
they uh, look. I wouldn't put in past the, the Democrats if they were forced to, you know, getting you know, especially if the Republican primary is a shoe in by that point, like you know, s- stepping up one more time and getting people out to win uh, in April. Yeah. But let's hope that we don't, you know, they don't have a reason to because they fought really hard for that win. Um, and I mean, this this would be truly insane. All right, so that's the news. Uh, you had your first tennis tournament. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so, so okay, reminder, I have the, the Pura Vida Open this coming weekend, which is the one where I'm playing my friend, uh, and our, the stakes are whoever loses this tennis match gets a tattoo on their butt. So obviously I've been training very hard. Uh, I participated in my first tennis tournament this weekend at Prospect Park, and I made it to the quarterfinals. It was great. Uh, amazing. And... Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, I played this guy in 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 the match before the, the quarterfinals, which was the best sporting performance of my adult life. Like literally, what happens <laughs> is you go there and you're like warming up, and uh, the he starts like serve practicing, uh-huh. and it was like it was like it was the fastest serve I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and so I just at that point I just was like, all right, it's been a great run, right? <laughs> and and I wound up going a couple games down. Uh, and, and it's like a one set match essentially for at the early rounds. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, but then I started to figure out how to hit this thing back and I just was just on all cylinders. The other thing I was doing was I was complimenting him throughout because you know, you have to switch (laughs) sides. Psychological warfare. (laughs) So I was, there's two things complimenting does. One is it calms you down because, like, if you see a lot of tennis players, they get all mad and yada yada yada. Like, they're all mad at themselves. They get negative and all that. But by complimenting him, it kind of calms me down. Uh, and two mm-hmm. is it really fucked with him. He was annoyed <laughs> by it, but he couldn't really get mad at me because I I told him before I was like, look, this is my first thing. I'm like new. I've only been playing for a year and a half. And he was basically like, all right, kid. Like, sure, this will you know this will be fine. Uh, so he's like, I've kind of set up this thing where I'm just like, I'm happy to be here, right? And I'm just being really nice <laughs> yeah. to him. But he got so mad at me, uh, you could just tell as it was going on. And then especially as I, I had to like win like three games in a row in order to win at the end. And by the time we got to this tie break, I had to beat him on a tie break. He was like, it, I had to get out of there pretty fast. He's like, he was I can't believe I'm losing to this new guy. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, so it was it great. Was and then I, I I wound up getting my butt kicked in the quarters. But then the it was a great run. It was a great debut. And uh and then I went to the US Open this weekend. So I saw Alcaraz and I saw um uh the Bills owner's daughter play, who is ranked three in the world. Um and then I saw the coolest thing about the US Open, by the way, is they let I love, I love how like to you she because you're such a Bills fan. Her full name is the Bills owner's daughter. Yeah, well there were people in <laughs> Bills gear, by the way, in the stadium. Jessica <laughs> Pugula, she's a great She's a great athlete in her own right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I suspect I just, that some portion of her success has something to do with the billions of dollars that they have to give her everything she needs to succeed. But look, you know, we all, we're all privileged. Still did it. Yeah. Uh, but the coolest thing is they let you go to the practice sessions if you go to the U.S. Open, right, which is an underrated part of it. Mm-hmm. So I watched Djokovic practice, uh, and then I watched Sabalenka, who's now the new world number one woman practice. And just from the perspective of like the love of like learning new things and the mechanics of stuff, that was honestly the highlight. It was like so cool to see what their routine is uh, for practice. Um, it's a really so, yeah, interesting my- point. Well, it's a really interesting point you made about it. it calms you down to compliment them because I I realized I do that like when I'm when I'm batting uh, and the guy throws like a really nice curveball that like 
I don't, you know, I take, I, I don't swing cause I think it's coming at me. And then like it curves in instead of like being all upset, like I'll turn to the catcher. And I'll be like, damn, that was a really nice pitch. And which is two things. One, it's me re- reminding myself like, Hey, this is fun. I'm, I'm a 42 year old man. I'm out here playing baseball. Like, let's remember it's right. a game. And two, it makes it more likely, uh, that they don't throw it again because <laughs> it, cause oh, the yeah. catcher's thinking, okay, well he's watching for that one. Um, but, uh, I think that's great. Um, my grown up sport competitive thing, uh, for this week is that, you know, my right shoulder and my right elbow at this point are, are really messed up and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to see a doctor tomorrow is and I'm doing physical therapy. Uh, well, my rotator cuff is either inflamed or partially torn and my, my UCL and my elbow is either partially or fully torn. Have so, you done an MRI but, yet on it? I'm, I'm getting it in the next few oh, days okay. probably. Yeah. And so we're going to know more, but point being like, it's very hard to throw a baseball right now. So I've been, I've been playing first base instead of center field. And I, and I, anyway, I had this crazy thought. Um, I think it was yesterday or this morning, which was, you know, my right arm is so jacked up at this point and my left arm works fine. Can I learn how to throw a baseball with my left arm? And I brought it up to like, uh, my physical therapist and she was like, it's an interesting idea. She was like, you got to start doing things with your, you got to start brushing with your left hand. You got to start eating with your left hand. And she was like, and all this PT we're doing for your right shoulder and elbow, you need to start doing it for your left too, to just like establish that stability. She was like, and then if you want over the off season, like we could just document it. It'd be kind of a fun thing yeah. to do on Instagram. If you want to take four months trying to find, figure out. Cause I was like, at this point, like, even if I get this arm, to- my right arm, totally healthy, I'm never going to be like, you know, I was a pitcher in high school. Like I could candor men. We don't have a lot of think, like physical gifts, but we can it. throw hard. Yeah. I and I don't have, have that anymore. You have, yeah, to why not it. just try with the left? It's a great story. Um, even if you fail. Uh, and, and I'm like, not, I'm not remotely ambidextrous, dude. Like it's not, yeah, but that's like, why I, I am amazing. all right hand, right foot, right. You know, um, I, anyway, I think you have to it. do it. And, uh, what was it? I saw that's relevant to this. Oh yeah. There's a, an Amazon prime. There's a docu series. By the way, I'm the king of the docu series in case anybody's wondering, but there's a docu, I have a docu series for everything. You know, there's like a tweet for everything. Um, there's a, they follow the Nadal Tennis uh, Academy, which is his high school that he's built in Mallorca. There's a girl who mm-hmm. who severely injures her dominant arm in tennis and plays the rest of the season with the other arm uh, and trains with it. And it's really interesting to watch how she does it. Uh, she doesn't well, become like as competitive as she was, but she still has fun playing. Yeah. It's, and look, I, I just need to be able to get the ball back into the infield. I'm not, I'm not a pitcher, you know? So like, I don't know, but it also, it means I'm going to, if I'm going to document it, I'm going to have to be okay with, I, I'm going to look ridiculous for probably the whole time, if not the majority, or, you know, the ideal would be the majority and then eventually it looks normal. But like when I even try and think about throwing with my left hand, my brain just like, it doesn't, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even really picture It'll lead it. So, to a creative Anyway, it's an interesting idea. You. you know, just by throwing with your yeah, left maybe hand, so. on you know, unpack all this new, like the, you know, neurons are going to start connecting that haven't connected before. And yeah, it will be, you'll be, you'll be like, well, what's poet. interesting is it's not like I'm worried about being able to catch with my right, right? Like if I have to start wearing a glove in my right hand, like I really ought to be able to catch with my dominant hand. 
So oh, yeah. then just throw like, with the yeah. left. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Revy, good luck in the Pura Vita Open this weekend. Uh, and thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. <laughs>